Good morning, and welcome to the Truth and Love radio broadcast. This program has been a part of the Mid-South for the last 70 years, faithfully overseen by the Getwold Church of Christ. Truth and Love will carry on lifting up the banner of New Testament Christianity today to the Mid-South area under the oversight of the Olive Branch Church of Christ. Please join us now as Mike Hickson opens the Bible and shares the truth in love. Two thousand years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid the ultimate price for sin. Just outside the walls of Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus Christ was lifted up, paying the price for our sins. Luke tells us in chapter 23 at verse 33, when they came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the thieves are malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Let's just go back for a moment or two and consider together the three crosses on Calvary. The first cross that I would call your attention to, that central cross, the man who is occupying that cross is none other than Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God. Here we have an account of a man dying for sin. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Go back to the book of Genesis for a moment. In Genesis chapter 2, we have an account of the Lord having created mankind, the crown of his creation. Man placed in what we call a utopian environment, the Garden of Eden. And it was there that the Lord said to the first couple, they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. In chapter 3, Moses informs us of the grim reality, the fact that the first couple violated the command of Almighty God. As a result of that, death made its entrance into the world. The first couple began to die physically. You remember the record tells us that they were expelled from the garden lest they have access to the tree of life. But then, secondly, they died spiritually. Sin separates us from Almighty God. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. And yet, the marvelous mercy and grace of a loving God, reflected in the fact that in Genesis chapter 3, at verse 15, God began unveiling His plan of redemption. That plan involved His Son, the second member of the Godhead, the Word, that eternal Word, who became flesh, as John says in John chapter 1. I can't help but think about what John wrote in the Revelation, in chapter 13 at verse 8, talking about Jesus and that grand plan of redemption. He spoke of Jesus as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1, that he was foreordained before the world began, but was manifest in these last times. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
answered the call of the Father. Jesus stood to mediate between the two parties, God the Father and the human family. Paul makes that abundantly clear in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Go throughout the Old Testament and read what the prophets had to say about the coming of God's answer to sin, that being Jesus. In Genesis chapter 12, God called on a man by the name of Abraham who became the father of the Hebrew nation. Abraham was called the friend of God, and it would be through his lineage that the Messiah, the promised seed, would emerge. God used Abraham in a great way, and God said to that great patriarch of the past, In you shall all families of the earth be blessed, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. That seed line would run through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then through the tribe of Judah. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that the promised seed would come through the family of David, that he would ultimately sit upon a spiritual throne, establishing a spiritual kingdom that would stand forever. Isaiah informs us that the promised seed would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7 verse 14, that he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew informs us that an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. And the angel said that that which was conceived in Mary was of the Holy Spirit, that she would bring forth a son. His name would be called Jesus. And listen to what the text says. He shall save his people from their sins. That's found in verse 21. Did Jesus understand his purpose for coming to earth? I think he did. The Lord said in John chapter 6 on one occasion, I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. And then you remember the shadow of the cross. In John chapter 17, Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. What was the work? that was given him to do, to die for the sins of the human family, says something about the love of Almighty God, doesn't it? Go back and look at John 3, verse 16, often spoken of as the golden text of the Bible. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that God is love. If you want to know something about God and His great love, I invite you to begin reading the Scriptures. And you'll find over and over again the depth of God's love, not just for the world, but for you personally. To understand that God, in His great love, sent His Son to die for our sins. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 5 at verse 8. But God commendeth his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul including himself in that great statement. Paul understood that Jesus came to save sinners. You remember in 1 Timothy chapter 1 at verse 15, Paul writes, This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. God the Father demonstrated his love for us. And then what about Jesus? To recognize that Jesus Christ was willing to leave the glory of heaven, to be robed in human flesh, to live among men, to be tempted by the devil or by the tempter, and then to die on Calvary. Why would he do that? Listen to what he said. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus went to the cross because of the immensity of love that he has for us, for all of us in the human family. We learn something about the love of the Lord, but then what about the life that he offers us? You remember Jesus said on one occasion, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Could I say to you today that if you want to experience true, genuine life, it's only in Christ. The world has nothing to offer. Whatever the world does have to offer at best is temporary. And yet Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The Lord here simply acknowledging the fact that he is the exclusive way, truth, and life. There is no life outside of Christ. The apostles understood that because in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What Luke is recording there is a statement that is factual. And the, and the fact of the matter is Jesus Christ is the exclusive way to salvation. Outside of him, there is no salvation. Not only does the Lord love us, not only has he provided for us life, but may I suggest to you that liberty is found in Christ. There's something great about liberty, isn't there? Oftentimes we celebrate July 4th, our independence. Well, what about freedom from sin? Jesus would say during his ministry in Matthew chapter 11, the Lord said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I'll give you rest. In John chapter 8, the Lord Jesus, in a discussion with the people of his day, said that those who commit sin are literally the bondservants, the slaves of sin, in verse 34. But then in verse 36, Jesus said, But if the Son makes you free, oh, you're free indeed. Well, what about this liberty that can be experienced in Christ? In John chapter 8, verse 32, the record says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Note the correlation between truth and salvation. There are some folks today that diminish the importance of truth. There are those in our world today that they have the idea that there's no such thing as absolute truth or that you can't know the truth. Well, Jesus said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul said, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Back in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, Paul said that he received revelation from God, took that revelation, wrote it down in a few words. He said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge 
in the mystery of Christ. So we can know the truth, and the truth brings about salvation. Think for a moment about what Jesus said. In John chapter 6, it is written in the prophets, They shall all be taught by God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and learned of the Father comes unto me. How does faith come about? Well, Paul said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. The instructions given, we're to walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 7. So we come to understand truth. Truth then leads us to salvation. Now listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verse 4. He points out that God would have all, that is A-L-L, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Therein, again, we have this idea of salvation and truth linked together. God wants all men to be saved. Matter of fact, Peter tells us God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, to know that there is a loving God in heaven who wants us to be with him throughout all of eternity. So on the first cross, that central cross, the cross of redemption, a man dying for sin, that man being Jesus. But then the second cross, the cross of rebellion. Here we have a man dying in sin. Is there anything worse than dying in sin? You know, in John chapter 8, Jesus said on one occasion, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sin. He went on to say that if you die in your sin, where I am, there you cannot come. Now, there are a lot of bad things that can happen in the world in which we live. I have seen some horrible, horrible circumstances that have confronted those of us in the human family. And many people in our world today have suffered immensely. There are those that have faced financial ruin. Others have faced disease, illness. Some have lost loved ones. And I would not in any way diminish the sadness of those events. But listen, the worst thing that will ever happen to any person is to die in sin. And why? Well, because Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come to be separated from God. Let's just talk for a moment or two about the way of the transgressor. On one of the other crosses, the cross of rebellion, we have a man who is dying in sin. The record tells us that one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. Now, initially, both of the thieves reviled the Lord. One of the thieves began to soften over time, but not this man. No, this man was dying by way of capital punishment, I have no way of knowing the background of this man. Don't know anything about his family life, what kind of mother and father he had. Don't know whether or not he grew up in a loving home. Have no idea of knowing whether or not he grew up in a religious home. But here's a question. At what point in his life did he begin living the life of a criminal? I mean, this man was a thief, a criminal. And because of the crimes that he had committed, he was paying the ultimate price. Listen to what Solomon said many years ago 
the way of the transgressor is hard. I think sometimes people have the idea that they can sow bad seed, but not have to pay a price for that. There's a, there's a law in effect. It is a natural law, but also a spiritual law. It goes all the way back to creation. In Genesis chapter 1 at verse 11, Moses said, Every seed brings forth after its own kind. Here's what Paul said. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let me ask you a question. What kind of seed are you sowing in your life? Are you sowing to the flesh? Or are you sowing that kind of spiritual seed that will bring rich and everlasting dividends? It's true. The way of the transgressor is hard. But then there's a second thought here. Not just the way of the transgressor, but the wastefulness of the transgressor. I have no idea the abilities, the intelligence of this man in terms of his educational background. Don't know how he would have measured when it came to an IQ test. But I know this, he wasted his life in that barren land of sin. In Luke 15, we read about the prodigal son. And you recall that young man went to his father and asked for his inheritance. His father granted him that wish. The text tells us, Jesus tells us in his narration of that parable, that he went out and wasted his substance on riotous, profligate living. Ended up feeding with the swine. Now you talk about a wasted life, at least temporarily speaking. But now we're talking about a man who is paying the ultimate price. He's dying on a cross for crimes he has committed. He made a decision at some point in time in his life to get involved in criminal activities and look where it led him. So there's the way of the transgressor, the wastefulness of the transgressor, but then thirdly, and sadly, the wages of the transgressor. Now back in Romans chapter 3, Paul establishes the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He goes on to say, there's none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23, Paul would say, the wages, or rather Paul would say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, sin is defined as the transgression of the law, 1 John chapter 3 at verse 4. This man was a transgressor of the law of God, but not just the law of God, but he violated the laws of his land. As a result of that, he's dying on a cross, paying again for the crimes that he had committed. But there is a far greater punishment than dying on a cross. Here's what Paul said, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Did you know that the answer to sin is Jesus Christ? There is no hope outside of Christ. 
Salvation is afforded us in Christ. Listen to Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Paul writes, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Salvation is only in Christ. Those who die outside of Christ, those who die as a rebel, and this man was dying as a rebel. There's no way to soften the blow. There's nothing that I can say to diminish the fact that this man was dying in sin. So what about those who die in sin? What about those who are outside a covenant relationship with the Lord? Here's what Paul said, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Write it down. Paul spoke of those who were without hope and without God in this world. Now, the answer, however, is found in verse 13. Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are brought near, made nigh by the blood of Christ. What then has the ability to take care of my sin problem? It's the blood of Jesus. And the only way I can access that blood is by being in Christ. And the Bible says that how I get into Christ is by being baptized into Christ. Well, what then does the Bible have to say about me becoming a child of God, enjoying the blessings of redemption? I mean, we're talking about redemption. We've talked about the cross of redemption, the cross of rebellion. Here's a man dying in sin. We've got a man who died for sin, who was dying for sin. Well, what about the hope extended to those who are outside of Christ? Let me just say this before we move on and before we talk about God's means of saving mankind. This thief was in close proximity to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He was in close proximity to the one of whom the angel said had come to save his people from their sins. On the one hand, he was so close, and yet on the other, so far away. Now, let's move from that and think thirdly, the cross of repentance. Here we have a man dying to sin on that central cross as we noted earlier. On that central cross, the cross of redemption, a man dying for sin. On one of the crosses, a man dying in sin, the cross of rebellion. But now we have the cross of repentance, a man dying to sin. I want you to listen to what this thief said to the other thief. The Bible says he rebuked him and said, do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? Now note, for we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong or nothing amiss what he was saying to that other thief was simply this. We're dying because of crimes we have committed. We have committed crimes that are worthy of capital punishment. But this man on the central cross, oh, he's done nothing amiss. And so you remember he said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus then promised him, and he said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Question, 
How did he know something about the kingdom? Didn't John the Baptist preach and teach the coming of the kingdom of God? Matthew informs us that when he began his ministry, he said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, you recall he said the very same thing as recorded by Matthew in chapter 4, verse 17. The Bible tells us in Mark 9, verse 1, that Jesus said to some present on one specific occasion, at least on one occasion, he said, there are, some there are some of you standing here that shall not taste death till you see the kingdom of God come with power. In Matthew 16, in verse 18, Jesus promised to build the church. In verse 19, he promised to give Peter and the apostles the keys to the kingdom of heaven, the church and the kingdom in that context, one and the same. Well, this man knew something about the kingdom of God. Now, I know that there are probably some of you who are listening today and you're thinking in your heart of hearts. Well, he asked the Lord to remember him when he came into his kingdom and Jesus promised that he would be with him in paradise. The text doesn't say anything about him being baptized. Well, you have to understand something. First and foremost, who's to say the thief on the cross had not been baptized? Go back and read in Matthew chapter 3. There were many who responded to John's baptism in Jerusalem, Judea, beyond the, beyond the Jordan. They were baptized by him, confessing their sins. Now, I can't prove that this man responded to the baptism of John. I can't prove, I can't prove that he did or didn't. The Bible doesn't say. In Mark chapter 2, the Bible tells us, talking about Jesus, that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Number one, it's possible this man was baptized according to John's baptism. Possibly wasn't. But number two, to understand that while Jesus was on earth and he was God in the flesh, he had the authority, the power to forgive sins. He's not on earth today. But then thirdly, and maybe most importantly, this man died under the old covenant. He didn't die under the Christian dispensation. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 17, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And you remember what Jesus said prior to ascending to heaven, instructing the apostles, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, to, even to the end of the age. When the church began on Pentecost Day, we have a record of Peter preaching the gospel on that day. He and the other apostles had received the keys of the kingdom of heaven. When they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were convicted of sin. The Bible says they were cut to the heart. Acts 2, verse 37. They wanted to know, how do we rectify our sinful condition? And Peter said, you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. What does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? It means to do it by his authority. Peter and the apostles had been authorized by Almighty God to set forth the terms of entrance into the kingdom of God. And say that, so they set forth divine legislation. You remember Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So you have belief and baptism prior to salvation. 
Peter places repentance and baptism prior to the remission of sins. And the Bible says that those who obeyed the gospel on that occasion, some 3,000 people, they were added to the church, Acts 2, at verse 47. So how then do you become a child of God? You've got to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. And then to repent, as Peter instructed on Pentecost Day. The Bible says you need to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, and then you're immersed in water. Why? For salvation, Mark 16, 16, for the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38, and to have your sins washed away. And I might also add to be added to the body of Christ, Acts 2, verse 47. My prayer today is that as you explore the three crosses, that if you're on that cross of rebellion, if you're living the life of a, of a rebel, that you will obey the gospel. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. We would love to have you visit with us at the Olive Branch Church of Christ located at 9100 East Sandridge Road, Olive Branch, Mississippi, 38654. We meet for Sunday Bible study at 9 a.m. Worship is at 10 a.m. Sunday afternoon study is at 1 p.m. Tuesday morning class, Bible class is at 10 a.m. Wednesday evening Bible class at 7 p.m please visit our website, www.olivebranchchurchofchrist.org.